Well, good morning again, everybody. Happy to, to see you here on this wet day, for sure. Um, you know, as we come together again today, I hopefully plan to kind of tie in the last couple messages that we've gone over in terms of legalism and license by talking about liberty a little bit. You know, it's always funny how when you plan to do one message on a passage and it turns into three. Um, but that's the way the Lord works sometimes. You know, today we're going to focus a little bit on the positive direction that Paul is pointing the readers to in terms of walking with the Spirit. And last week, near the end of the message, um, I pointed out how both legalism and license, or sorry, yeah, legalism and license are us working in the flesh to, to try and gratify its desires a little bit. Um, where with the fruit of the Spirit, which we're going to be talking about today, it is more the trusting and the resting upon the grace of God in our lives. A difference that seems to be pretty big, but you know, it's like we are walking on a knife's edge and we can be tipped over one way or the other in many different ways. So Paul has called us, um, he's called both of these things in terms of legalism and license extremes. And it's always funny how God works at times. Going through my devotions this week with the kids, reading in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, it says this, whoever fears God will avoid all extremes. I just thought that was so timing in terms of what we're going through and what we've been talking about. So today we're going to reread the section in chapter 5, beginning in verse 16. So if you have your Bibles you may join me there. Verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Father, as we... Go to your word this morning as we contemplate liberty that we have in the spirit. Lord, I am aware of the schemes of the enemy as he is attacking many of us today. And there's a lot of weighty darkness that is on our hearts and minds. But Lord, I pray that we can meet with you this morning, that we can work through these passages and understand the grace that we have received. In your name I pray. 
Amen. All right, so we have talked about these extremes that Paul is dealing with in the Galatian church and how the flesh is impacting the believers. Um, Areas that I think we too as believers still grow in, understanding these extremes, understanding how we walk sometimes um, or not walk with the Spirit. Um, But, you know, when we understand the flesh, simply stated, it is an individual who is behaving or acting independently of the Spirit. And for the Christian, as it says in verse 24, we have crucified the flesh. Now, what does that phrase mean exactly? Because as we've been talking about these extremes, we've also been noticing how there's areas that we are still struggling in our life. So it doesn't seem like we've crucified it or that it's still alive and well, so to speak. Well, in that sense, crucifixion means that when we put our trust in Jesus, the hold, the dominion is broken. The dominion that sin has in our life. We've been given a new spirit, but our soul, our our mind, will, and emotions still struggle against the flesh. It still battles against the flesh. You know, this hold has been over us since the fall, and when Christ came, he dealt with that hold. And while we still struggle with sin, it doesn't control you um, once you come to Christ. And you might roll your eyes at that because it's like, well, it still seems like it's controlling me. But the fact that you can roll your eyes means that the hold is broken, means that there's conviction there. Before, it's just a blind thing where you aren't aware of your lost nature. In Romans 6, a place that we're going to be going to next week, it says this, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. And as we are set free from this hold, it says that we belong to Christ. We are his, and he gives us a new life. And that life is life in the Spirit. This is the contrast that Paul is setting up with the Galatian church that he has been talking about in terms of these extremes. And he is explaining how we are to live our life as Christians. We look at verse 25 where it says, For if we live by the Spirit, again, that same force of since is there with that if, since we live by the Spirit. Living by the Spirit, He is the giver of life. He is the source. He is God. Since we live by Him, let us also keep in step with Him. Now, live, of course, is is kind of similar to walking. But again, the emphasis here is going to be on the Holy Spirit, who is the sustaining power of life in a person. He gives us that life. He is the reason that we live, meaning the new life that is in Christ, whereas walking by the Spirit sees him more as the principle, the guide, the leader in our conduct. In the Spirit, we have liberty. We have freedom. In the flesh, we find license and legalism. You look at verse 26, we see that same um, instruction to kind of hold that balance. Do not think too highly of yourself. Remember down in verse 3 of chapter 6, as it says, if you think too highly of yourself when you're nothing, you know what that does. 
You know, we, we don't want to be too conceited. We don't want to look down on others, to provoke others, or to envy them. Instead, as Christians, we need to be fruitful as we are submissive to the Holy Spirit, following His leading, walking in deep dependence upon Him. When you think of deep dependence, I think of John chapter 15. Verses 4 and 5 say this, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So, as we kind of talked about last week, these truths we know. We've heard them a million times before. And it can all sound nice, right, and true, but how? But tends to be the question that most of us as believers resort to. How can I live this way when life is messy? You know, many times we just want answers. We want quick fixes. We want to get ourselves out of the mess that we're currently in, out of the argument that we're having with our spouse or our children, and go back to being comfortable, go back to being content, asleep perhaps as we talked about last week. This is the problem that many of us face in our daily lives, the how. How do we live this way? And I hit on it last week. I mentioned it in our introduction. The how is resting in the grace that we have received. Through grace, we learn how to submit and surrender. Or as that closing song, trust and obey. We covered last week how the battle ensues as the flesh and the spirit battle each other in verse 17. Sin is a work of the flesh. It is a nature that entices and corrupts us to our selfish desires. And we have not gotten complete victory over that yet. But as we're reminded in Romans 6 verse 12, we are not to let sin reign in our mortal bodies. Instead, we are to walk by the spirit. We reject the passions of the flesh, and we walk in the newness of life that comes from the Spirit. Again, how? You know, this is not a do-it-yourself operation where we go in our own strength or our own power. Too often we turn our lives into this sin management lifestyle where we don't deal with the matters of the heart. We're simply focused on the surface problems, and we try to address those, while the battle that rages on in our life surrounding the spirit and the flesh happens in our heart and mind, underneath the surface. What we see on the surface are merely symptoms of the bigger issues that lie underneath. We cannot manage our sin or just deal with the symptoms that we see because the issues are much deeper. A common analogy that many people use is the idea of weeds. Most of the time, we just chop off the head or try to pluck the weed, but what happens is it grows back and it continues um, to get bigger. You know, if we don't address the weed at the root, the root goes deeper and it becomes stronger. It develops a stronghold in our lives. Now, to understand that a bit, you know, we can do this parallel study that we find here in John 15. It's a very deep passage about abiding that holds very similar principles to the weeds, but with a positive direction. You think about a fruit tree. 
does a fruit, is it produced on its own? No, a fruit cannot produce itself on its own. It needs to open itself up to sunshine, to the rain, to, um, to the roots, to the source of, that it gets life from. Then a bloom appears and the fruit grows and it ripens. You know, when we look at verse 4 there, when we look at just how we understand even natural science, we see that the branch must be connected to the vine, to the trunk, to the root, because that's its source of life. If you think about your own life, what is it connected to? Are we connected to the root? Because this is how the fruit gets life. It has to be connected to the source. Our walk with him is a metaphor to describe the relationship that we have with God. Christianity is not to be just about a set of rules or formulas or sin management. It is about that deep relationship with God, where we're resting in the grace of the Father as he lavishes his love upon us and we understand it more and more. Are we then following his commands, keeping in step with what he asks us to do through surrender, through submission, through him living through us, where our wills, where our hearts are aligned with his to desire the same thing, and then that fruit is evident in our life because we're connected to the source. The fruit that's described in verse 22 is produced by yielding, by trusting, not by works. The branch does not produce fruit on its own. It is an outgrowth of the Spirit in us, of the relationship that we have with God. And there's a couple of points I want to stress when we talk about the fruit. First, the fruit of the Spirit is singular. This is not a pick-and-choose list. This is not like gifts where the Spirit gifts certain things to each individual believer to build up the church. The fruit here is singular, meaning there is unification within these fruits. Now, they can be displayed individually. We understand them individually, but they are not to be separated. They are to be a part of a believer's life. Many times it's easier for us to break them apart I usually do that for understanding. Um, so just kind of walk through these a little bit. Love. Of course, this is the agape love. God's love. Where you are unconditionally loving him and others as you serve them. Where our life is full of love for God and others because of the grace that we have received. The spirit of God working within us to understand that grace and then understand that love that we have received and then show that to others. Joy, this is a cheerfulness, a constant delight in God. Think of John 15, verse 11. It says, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. You know, these, these things that are written, the gospel message that is given and heard, so that you may really enjoy life. How is your joy this morning? Are you enjoying the life that you've been given? Are you a little frazzled from this morning and getting kids out of bed and getting them to church or your spouse? I say it often. As believers, we should be the most joyful people in this world because we understand the forgiveness. We understand the love of God. And that should have a mark in our lives. 
This is not a work, but a pure understanding of the love of God. You know, the song goes, how can I keep from singing? Because we understand what God has done. Do we know that type of joy this morning? Peace. First and foremost, peace with God. And then that changes the temperament that we have to be peaceable with others. You know, I've had times where I've prayed over people that have just been in just distress. And their face is just wrinkled and just shriveled and just shaking because of the distress that's in their lives. And as we've prayed over these people, you can just see it wash away. And it's such an amazing thing. You know, religion can't do that. My prayer doesn't do that. God uses that as a means, but that is just Christ in that person. That is the Spirit of God coming down to bring a peace that you cannot explain. It is like a breath of fresh air. Are our hearts and minds disturbed this morning? Do we know the peace of God this morning through the mess, through the junk that we're going through? Patience and long-suffering. Patience is being able to respond to things without anger. It's being able to bear offenses that might be directed towards you. I mean, how often, if we're in an argument, do we escalate things because we're responding in kind? rather than with patience, rather than with love, because we get offended, because we get disobeyed. When I struggle with patience, the thought that always comes to my mind, what if God dealt with me in the same level of patience that I'm dealing with my children, or with people of the church, or people in the youth group, or people in classical conversations, or my neighbors? What if God dealt with me that way? I don't know that I would like that. You know, our, our go-to verse that we, that we look at, of course, is in 2 Peter 3. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. You know, 15 seconds is a lot longer than you think when you're trying to be slow. I thought about being silent for a minute just to see how your patience would be. The different thoughts that run through your mind, did, he, did something crash? Did, what happened? What did, did he forget what to do? <laughs> to show how impatient we can be when things that we expect don't always happen. Kindness, goodness, and gentleness are all very similar terms that sometimes we interchange in how we use them, but they're all different words in the Greek, and different words have different meanings, and we'll get into that a little bit later today. But outside how we normally would understand these terms, kindness gives off this benevolent goodness on top of just being kind. 
goodness can have this understanding of being generous and doing the right thing. Gentleness has this understanding of meekness, of humility, along with being careful and soft and gentle. Again, all three very similar with slight differences for our understanding. Faithfulness, simply faith. The fruit of the Spirit is faith. Faith in who Jesus is and what he has done. Trusting in him. This is a public faith that is on display for all to see. Where we have this understanding that we walk by faith and not by sight. It is the Spirit who gives us this faith and grows it in us. And then self-control. This is a moderation. And to help us understand this, I think Paul gives us several warnings twice in the book of Corinthians where he says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. And all things are lawful, but not all things build up. Moderation does not mean moderation in the flesh. Like, I can... You know, I can be jealous in moderation, or I can have anger in moderation, or sexual immorality in moderation. No. You don't have moderation in your licenses. You have moderation in your liberty. And in all of these things, especially, you know, as I just said that there, we have to be aware that there can be abuses or misuses by us or by others, where you will have situations where maybe people try to walk all over you in your kindness, in your patience, in your love. Or maybe you're extending these things when you shouldn't. You know, as I quoted Second Peter there, many times we just look at verses 8 and 9 when dealing with patience. But there's another part to our understanding of faith that we have to understand when it comes to the fruit of the Spirit. And that there, that there is a justice that must also happen. You know, when, we, when we're adhering and listening to the Spirit's leading in our life, you know, where we're speaking the truth with patience and gentleness and love, and we're not being walked on, where our fruit can show as we're sharing the gospel message in situations where people don't really want to hear it, but we're stressing this gospel message in all areas of our life. You know, you think about the different parables that Jesus teaches us about fruit, I think of Matthew 13 and the parable of the sower. He expects a return on his investment, whether that's 30-fold, 60-fold, or 100-fold in return. He desires for us to bear much fruit. Fruit happens when we allow the Lord to live through us by the Spirit, where we are surrendering and submitting to his teaching and walking with him. Now I want to talk about walking a little bit this morning. In verse 25, it says, Since we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And as I mentioned before, walking, keeping in step with the Spirit, living by the Spirit can sometimes be interchangeable. I've used those um, interchangeably to try to get the same message across. But again, they are different words, meaning that Paul would have a different intent to the readers that they would understand. So keeping in step with the Spirit, that is basic. It talks about how to move in order, putting one foot in front of the other, 
where you are learning how to walk. Keeping in step is very similar to when toddlers are learning how to walk. It's physical, it's a trial and error type of thing, and it's a present active, meaning it is continuous. It is daily that we are to keep in step. It is not completed. It doesn't matter how old you are, we are still to keep in step with the Spirit. It doesn't matter how mature you are, it is a daily thing. Whereas walking by the Spirit describes more of the whole journey, that you are walking with the Lord. Keeping in step is more that nitty-gritty, those steps of faith. So I want to use an illustration to help out with this. At one point in time, we all learned how to walk. Some caught on very quickly, and it was easy. For some, maybe it was a little bit more difficult. So let me ask you, how did you learn how to walk? If you don't remember, think to some toddlers, maybe your own kids or grandkids, as you watch them take their first steps. Did we learn through a lecture? Did we learn through reading about it? I mean, I can learn quite a, be, quite a few things through reading. I can learn how to swim. I can learn all the technicalities, all of the strokes. Does that mean that I can go out and then swim three miles in each stroke? How many toddlers read a book on walking? For most, they see others doing it, right? They copy what they see. They get frustrated that they can't keep up with their siblings or they want to chase after their parents. And then through a process of trial and error, they begin to build up their strength, their balance, and they take a few steps, and then they fall back down. Now think about where you are as a parent or a sibling or a relative. What are you doing? Generally, you're right there. You're the target that they're walking to, and you're encouraging them, celebrating them as they move forward. They take two steps and fall down. We clap. We celebrate. We praise them. We're so excited that they took steps. Are we focused on the fall? Usually, it's such a very joyous time in our lives that we celebrate when our children take our first, their first steps. And they begin to walk. And it's short-lived because then they begin to run and they're running away from you. But we can see some connections forming. So this morning, I want to take this illustration to our Christian lives. Or as I said, we should be walking with the Spirit. We should be exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit in our lives as many of us are more mature believers. We should be off of milk, Right? We should be on the meat and the hard things. We're seasoned. But today I want to start from scratch. His mercies are new every day. And there are struggles in our lives that have very deep roots. There are strongholds in our lives that we need to address. And we need to take some baby steps to do that. So I want us to be a little introspective this morning. Because there's many layers, there's many connections to this topic where we need to find the root. So let's start with ourselves. 
Do we learn to keep in step and walk with the Spirit through lectures, through books, through conferences, through the words in the Bible? It's a trick question. Partially, yeah. We can learn theory. We can learn theology in this way. We can have notebooks and journals full of what to do. We can have our Bibles marked with our favorite passages. But we'll still not be living in the Spirit. Still not be walking with Christ. We can know all of the right things, but still not be taking steps forward. In a devotional last week, I was reading Ezekiel 2, and it starts off this way. God says, And he said to me, Son of man, stand on your feet, and I will speak to you. And as he spoke to me, the Spirit entered into me and set me on my feet, and I heard him speaking to me. How beautiful is our God to give us the Spirit, to give us the strength to stand. So we have the knowledge. We have our journals and our books full. We have our Bibles marked up. And we have the Spirit of God in us. We are ready to walk. Now thinking back to our illustration. Who do we have in our lives that we see walking right now? Who is it that has their arms wide open encouraging us to take a step forward without judgment? Now, the short answer, of course, are the people in the Bible and the great cloud of witnesses. Of course, the Sunday school answer of Jesus. All good answers. But I find in the American church, our faith is so isolated. We go in our faith alone. We come to church, sure. We have a small community of believers. But how well do we truly know each other? You know, sharing testimonies back in August hearing people's stories, maybe for the first time, that we don't know. Faith is not to be walked alone. We need people that we can observe how they are walking, saying to ourselves, I want a faith like that. I want to chase after that person. Paul tells the churches, imitate me as I'm imitating Christ. You know, you think of the narrow road. Paul is saying, look, I'm focused on Christ. You're behind me. Follow me. I'm leading the way. We need people in our lives tangibly like that, where our eyes are focused on Jesus, but as we've said and talked about legalism and license, many times we're walking down the path and it's kind of meandering. Maybe we're staying over here a little bit, and then we swing back over here a little bit. We need those people to call us back with truth and love to the straight and narrow. Can we write three names of people that we look at and say, I want faith like theirs? They're more mature than I am, and I need to follow what they're doing. I need to ask them questions. How did you get over this hump? Because I have this root in my life that I don't know how to dig up. How did you gain victory in this? Can you write down three names? Do we as Christians see more mature believers walking around us? Or is our life full of the blind leading the blind? 
it's important to have others along in the journey. So we have the knowledge, we have the word, we have the spirit of God, and we have others. And we begin to take a few steps. And I'll leave that with you to sit for a little bit over this week in terms of that area of the illustration. Now let's fast forward a little bit where we have been Christians for some time and people are now looking to you for guidance or direction. Like it or not, as Christians, your life is being observed at some level. So let's continue to break this down in terms of who looks to us as we are walking. As a parent or a grandparent, well, just as a parent because you never stop parenting, do your children see you reading your Bible, see you on your knees in prayer, see the fruit of the Spirit working in your life where you are submitting and resting in Him? Or do they see you working in the flesh, blowing up in anger, trapped in sexual immorality, jealousy, divisiveness, drunkenness, all on the side of license? What about legalism? Maybe, maybe as they're trying to walk, you give them your guidelines of how you want them to behave. They walk, they fall and trip, Do we call them good-for-nothings, failures, horrible, stupid? I mean, when we think about saying that to a toddler who's learning how to walk, and yet do we say that to our young believers? Do we say that to ourselves? It's a try-harder, do-better legalism that's focused on behavior modification and not sin management. And these types of things are attacks from the enemy. You know, most of the times I find that when I lash out in anger, it's because my kids are falling for the same traps that I did. And as a parent, you want the best for your children. You want them to be better than what you were. And you know the pain of those traps, and you don't want them to fall for it. So then again, you begin to get down on yourself. And that light is shining how I'm failing as a parent. How I'm not helping them along the way that I should. And it's a cycle that's repeated by the enemy. To where we're lashing out at each other instead of encouraging one another. When we should be fighting back against the enemy and his schemes. You know, looking back in chapter 6, I think the first three or four verses, let me just read them. Brothers, if anyone is caught in transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For we each have to bear our own load. 
You know, I think about, especially those first couple of verses, in terms of admonishment, in terms of discipleship, what we need more is a community of believers to be coming alongside of one another. Whereas parents would need to teach their children how to rest in the grace of Christ rather than this list of behaviors that you better obey. Understanding that they need to trust in Christ as a part of their own faith as they understand grace. And, and on the opposite side, we need to look at the kids and look at their innocence and realize as older people, I need to get back in touch with that. The faith of a child. But I think that as a body, as communities, as a culture, we are too into sin management and not understanding the character transformation that comes from the Spirit. There's a saying that you cannot lead someone through the desert that you have not yet crossed yourself. And this is the scary part of leadership, of having people look to you for direction. I can only lead you as far as I am in my own walk. Beyond that, you have to find another source, someone more mature than me. And as a pastor, I'm fine with that. I understand that. I know that there are more mature Christians than me in this room. But it's a community effort to understand how we are growing towards Christ. You know, you look back to the list of names that maybe you wrote down, maybe you didn't. Where are these people in the list of the maturity? How far away, how close are they? All of those types of things. We should always know, or from me, you should always know that I always try to do my best to lead and guide you based on what the Word says, based on how the Spirit leads me. But I am not the end-all, be-all. Christ is. And no matter who is in this pulpit, the goal is to lead you to Christ. He is the end goal. But he uses each one of us within this church to build each other up with the gifts that he has given us, to edify the church. We are to encourage one another, to build each other up in the spirit, to grow closer to him, to glorify him, to worship him, to praise him. So as we've talked about this, let me ask you another question. Are the people here in this body privy to your life? Is your life open to those here? Meaning, do people see you just at church on Sundays when you have your smile on, maybe your mask is up, but you don't interact, you don't invite, you don't welcome people in? Now, obviously, in a group of 70 to 80 people, you can't be that close to everyone. I'm talking about a group of three or four. People that you can be open and honest with, that can hold you accountable, where you can hold them accountable, to where you can encourage deeply, more so than you can get on a Sunday morning. But through the week, you can call them up and say, I need prayer, and you know that they would be there in a heartbeat. Do we have people within this body? I mean, you might have some 
friends outside, and that's fine too. But we're all a part of this community, this church, for a very specific purpose. We've all been gifted to edify the Lord and to build each other up. But I find that it's underutilized. We don't lean on each other and we try to go it alone most of the times. Perhaps, as we think about these types of things, we don't feel qualified to lead. I can't lead anybody in that way because, ugh. Some encouragement. God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the called. And we are all called as believers to be a body. He is the one that qualifies us. But many times we start from a place of fear and anxiety when it comes to walking. I'm afraid to take a step because I might fall and it might hurt. More encouragement. Only Jesus was perfect. Every titan of the faith in the Bible fell and some fell pretty hard. But how many times will I fall? It's going to hurt. Yeah. Ask some of the senior saints, more seasoned people, if they still fall. I mean, I'm only 40, so I mean, I, there's people older than that here, I know. But we haven't reached perfection yet, so we're going to fall. And it can be scary, and it can hurt. But the only way to go through this life with meaning is to go by walking with the Spirit. And we have to take those steps. When we fall, we don't just stay down and think I can't do this or that it can't be done or I'm a failure or woe is me. We get back up through the strength of the Spirit who puts us on our feet. We confess that we have fallen and tripped. We seek that forgiveness and we try again. And trying is not in our own power. It is yielding. It is submitting to the Spirit. Saying, look, I tried to go this way and I fell. Sorry. Let's do it the right way this time and take the step where you lead me, where you guide me. And this is to be done daily. Where we are walking with Him, putting one foot in front of the other. Stepping with the Spirit as He guides us. And as toddlers who begin to get the hang of walking... Again, they start to run. And maybe they're running in a direction that's not safe or wise. They stumble and they trip. And what happens? They come running back to their parents crying. And the parents comforting them, fixing their wounds, healing them. At least that's the way it's supposed to be. But how many times have we heard or have we said ourselves, I told you not to do that. Just shake it off. No blood, no foul. Stuff those feelings down. We don't cry. These types of sayings and teachings build up walls. They tell us not to go back to the Father because I can't find comfort because I can't find healing because I won't find the love there 
and they're teachings that have been instilled into our life. Wounds from parents that we haven't dealt with, that have become barriers to our relationship with the Father, who we don't think we can trust because I can't trust my earthly father. But it's the complete opposite. It is him that we have to go to for healing, for comfort, for love. But it's a process, and it takes steps. In our life, we should be walking right beside the Father, yielding ourselves to him, having crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, living in the Spirit, keeping in step with him, walking hand in hand with the fruit of the Spirit, realizing just as Adam did, who walked with God in the cool of the day, that we walk in the fruit. We walk with our Savior. And it is a joyous thing. We understand the rest that comes from the grace that is in Him. And we give Him the glory as we walk with Him all of our days, proclaiming His name, worshiping Him, as we surrender to let Him live through us to advance his kingdom forward. This week, I want us to be mindful of the steps that we are taking and how we are keeping in step with how the Spirit is guiding us. Let us pray. Father, as we continue to grow our understanding of what it means to keep in step with the Spirit, I pray that you would meet with us in our hearts and minds where this battle is raging between the flesh and the spirit. That we would understand the grace that we've received and how sin has been crucified. That it does not have a hold on us. And that through the power of your word, the spirit, and others around us, we can walk freely with you. What an awesome liberty it is to not be drowned out by the fears and anxieties of this world, but through the renewing of our minds and spirits to walk in love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Lord, I pray that we can live dependent upon the Spirit in our lives. Where we are a people about character transformation and not behavior modification. That we don't go through our days working and trying harder, but rather resting in the grace, allowing you to live through us. Submitting to your teachings to your ways. And Lord, I pray protection from the enemy and, and his schemes as he entices us, as he pulls us away from you. Lord, I pray for victories because we need them right now. Lord, the enemy is winning in different areas, but he is not victorious. Help us to keep our eyes on you, 
knowing that the victory has already been won so that we might live our days from a place of victory rather than defeat. And in all things, Lord, may you have the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.